The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there, welcome to the show. The Phil Hayes Show brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. You can get in touch with the show via the Twitter account at The Phil Hayes Show. I'm Dan Moylan, joined today by my colleague from The Square Ball, Michael Normanson. Hello. And Phil's still doing well with his recovery from the surgery that he had at the end of April. Before he was off, um, we recorded a top 10 signings feature that's going to run every week across 10 weeks. So you'll hear Phil's voice on this podcast in just a bit. This week, we're bringing you number six in that list. While Phil is absent, we'll have guests in from the world of Leeds United Next week, looking forward to speaking to Eddie Gray, but this week we've got him on loan from BBC Radio Leeds. Welcome, Adam Pope. Thank you, guys. Very, very honoured to be here. Well, the window does open today, doesn't it? The domestic window, Wednesday, the 9th of June, as we're recording this. So it only seems appropriate that we draft you in from uh, from the BBC. Oh, thanks, guys. I'm not going to learn anything now. <laughs> you can sign up to The Athletic right now for a special price just in time for the Euros. It now costs £1 a month for six months. Sign up, pay just £6 between now and the end of the year for access to the very best sports writing anywhere, including excellent coverage of Leeds United. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to sign up. Let's catch up with what's been happening. Then we missed last week, following on from speaking to Victor Orta the week before, and things now starting to, to grind into action. The, the wheels are turning. We'll catch up on the Euros chat in just a bit. But first of all, the stuff that's happening in the world of Legion United. First things first, Tyler Roberts signing an extension, Popey. Yeah, till 2024's existing deal was going to see him through for another year after this one. So it's a big, big deal for Tyler, who has really sort of come to prominence in Bielsa's thinking towards the back end of, of last season, obviously now in a, in a, in a Euros finals with, with Wales. And I wouldn't say it's been the easiest of seasons for him, but he's certainly been rewarded for the faith that Bielsa has shown in him, I would say. And you've got to say, you know, was his future in doubt at Leeds United? A lot of caution to go out on loan, a lot of caution to leave, but Bielsa clearly wants him and it's a, a three-year deal, which is a huge, I would say, leap of faith by Bielsa and Leeds United in him. I think it's fair to say at the turn of the year, it looked like there were big doubts about it when he's coming into the final, because at that point he would have had a year and a half left. Questions start getting asked, don't they, when there's 12 months left on the contract? So he's probably earned it in, in the latter half of the season. I think breaking his, his duck in, in the Premier League with his goal is a key moment, but you've got to look beyond that, haven't you? And I, prior to that point, you're thinking, what is he contributing to, to Leeds United? Is he scoring goals? No, he wasn't. Is he creating goals for other people? No, he wasn't, to be fair. But is his game improving to such an extent that you can see him being a key member going forward? I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not sure yet, but the only person's opinion that counts is Bielsa on this. He obviously sees a player there in him. So in that sense, am I surprised? I suppose I am a little bit that it has been done and wrapped up because I wasn't expecting. He's probably one of the least, in terms of squad members, I'd expect to be having a deal done earlier than maybe expected. I would say he'd be one of the least, but clearly he seems to be an integral part going forward for for Bielsa. So look, in a way, uh, obviously in a way, you're pleased for him because you think his future's sorted out and it puts to bed any thoughts that, you know, he's not part of plans going forward. But he really has to take this opportunity now because after the incident with Wales as well, where he was sent home, um, this is the time to prove that he has, as he's told us this week, I've, I've become a man from being a boy. That's what he said about what Bielsa has done for him. So I think he's got to really go out there and take this chance now. It's a huge, huge opportunity for him. It really is. I feel like Roberts has been under a lot of pressure because he's been around the first team picture since he signed and recovered from his injury. But I think people forget he's the, he's a similar sort of age to people like Leif Davis and Jamie Shackleton who have not, I think because they we've not seen them as much, people are not asking questions quite so much about them. Whereas with Tyler Roberts, I think we've we've almost seen enough that there are there are doubts about him, if that makes sense. It, it, would have, it almost he would have benefited sometimes, I think, from not playing as much. But, he's, but Bielsa obviously has a fair amount of faith in him. So um, it's interesting to see how he develops, I think. And partly it may as well be the club protecting an asset at this stage as well, I guess, with offering a new contract because it's, he will have some sell-on value. There's a question there, isn't there, about how much it costs to replace him. That's one of the factors. And you're probably looking at, what, 10, 15, even £20 million in today's market before you get a player who you know can do it in the Premier League to an adequate standard and in that position as well. I mean, there is also an advantage, I guess, Pope, do you think, in the fact that he knows the system? I don't want to, I want to stop short of saying he knows the club, but he knows how Bielsa operates. He knows how Bielsa's system works. He knows what was involved in pre-season. There's no acclimatisation there. He just carries on, doesn't he? So that's a big selling point. I think that's a pro for any player 
It's just the continuity aspect of it. I think that's the case with Alioski as well now when we, I mean, we're mm. still not entirely sure what's happening with his deal, but it's one of those where you think, well, if we, if he's staying on as a, presumably a second choice, because there's a lot of talk about left backs, but if, if he stays on, as a, if he leaves and we have to buy a second choice left back, how much do we have to spend on that? And is it worth just keeping Alioski for the, I guess, because his faults are known to us and we know what he, we know what he can do. Is it worth just keeping these players around? Yeah, and I think if you compare the two players, Roberts and Aliossi, I think we know exactly what Aliossi can do. Do we all feel that Roberts hasn't realised his potential? There's a bit more to come. I think Aliossi is probably maxed out. And I'd say he could probably max out again for another season and, and be a really good foil for whoever's does come in at left back. Roberts, you still think there's that there's an extra 10%, he, he, 15% in it's there. the ceiling, isn't it? Yeah. He hasn't hit the ceiling yet. You Definitely. Do, yeah, because you keep willing him to kind of be a little bit better. But these things do take time, as we've yeah. seen with all players who who play under Bielsa and he's obviously in credit because he's part of the promotion winning squad and he's established himself a lot more firmly in that sort of latter half of the, the Premier League season. But do you think maybe he might fall down the pecking order just a little bit? It's interesting because the, the thing that you said there about him having been acclimatised to the to the way that Leeds play, he calls himself a 10-8 and that's because of the recoveries that have to be made more like an 8 as more than an out-and-out out 10 like say Saez was before. You could never see him playing for a long period of time in this Bielsa set up, could you? Whereas you can with Roberts, to be fair, to an extent. So, but will he fall down the pecking order? Right now, if you're, you know, if we're saying it's going to cost, say, 15, 20 million to, to bring another number 10 in, where you think Rodrigo's going to play, to be honest, all things considered, everything being equal, then he's only going to fall behind Rodrigo, I would say. I don't see him falling any further down. So he's, that means that he's integral then, isn't he? He's going to be in the matchday squad mm. every week. I don't see somebody else coming in or somebody that is there already, unless you're thinking Gellhart or, you know, somebody like that is going to necessarily take his place in the first period of next season. I guess this it takes us into transfers, doesn't it? Because the window is open as of today, as we record. The message coming out of the club towards journalists, and we got the same vibe from when we spoke to Angus Kinnear some weeks ago and then, and then Victor Orta, is it's going to be quality over quantity. Two or three names. Do you think that's that's about right in terms of what they're going to bring in? You're thinking left back, maybe number 10 slash midfielder, somebody who can play wide as well, because two of those three then do push Roberts down the pecking order, don't they? I think midfielder, though, is more personal. Let's say left-sided central midfielder, because I'm thinking more click dropping off a cliff until the very end of the season when he came back with the storm for those two games. I think that's a, an area that's really key for Leeds if they are going to strengthen. Winger, we know because he loves a winger and he's not going to buy another striker, so I very much doubt. And, and left-back. Definitely. But I, so I don't see Roberts necessarily being threatened because I don't know if they're going to go for an attacking midfielder, if you say, or a number 10. Mm. Um, I, if, I don't see that. There has been talk as well, though, of moving Rafinha inside. So if, if we do get a wide man that then frees up Rafinha into that number 10 role. And I mean, to be, I, this is the wider question, I guess. Are we building a squad here rather than just the first 11? I mean, the problem with, with the first 11 is Marcelo Bielsa's to solve, thankfully, rather than ours. So mm. are we seeing just an overall general strengthening of the squad, do you think? I think so, but I think to the numbers that you talked about as well, I think you'd see three. I mean, last summer, more was spent than I think we all expected. And that, because that included the cost of money as well. Don't forget, there's still 11 million for Jack Harrison to go out, isn't there? So three players on top of that, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, that, that's it. So I think, it, and look, there isn't a first 11 with, with Bielsa, is, as we know. Mm. So yeah, it's just not tinkering. It's just slightly adding a bit more quality to a squad, whereas Shepherd United didn't do that last year. I'm convinced Leeds will. And the other thing to remind ourselves about the transfer fees is that they don't all go out up front. So the 11 million for Jack Harrison, there's going to be part of that payment will go out this summer when he becomes our player permanently and then another in another 12 months or you know however the deal is structured. Yeah. And I know last summer, uh, as Phil has said before on this podcast, that the deals were all weighted heavily in favour of the duration of the contract, weren't they? So they did, I think he said they didn't pay out more than about three, four, five million quid, was it, per per signing last summer. So we are now sort of going to be paying those off over the course of uh, the yeah. contracts. You are going to be triggering people's PTSD about Ridsdale and all this. Same. It's, we've got it all on the tab. It's fine. It's all under control. <laughs> put, it, put it on the never-never. <laughs> yeah, I think, and also, I know we're going to talk about this too, but I think one thing that we're watching with, maybe a little bit concerned, is the John Kevin Augustin decision too, which I know has been on. You're going to come on to it at some point, but I wondered if well, that let's goes... Just, just do, do it now. Let's do it now. You yeah. brought his name up, yeah. Well, it made me think, this is a 21 million euro deal at stake, isn't it? If that went badly for Leeds, then how is that going to affect purchases? Because that suddenly is like a huge, that's 18 million quid mm. that you're going to have to find, possibly, potentially. 
And that was always a worry in my mind, whether that kicked in, would that affect this year's transfer activity? Yeah. You wonder though, would that have to be paid all in one go or would it be structured like it would have been over the course of the contract? So, you know, I mean, I don't know how these things are exactly structured because it's, you know, fee up front and then another 12 months or whatever it might be. Like we saw an example of cost has been spread over the uh, the duration of his, um, his four year contract. So it wouldn't be a single hit, I don't imagine, no. but someone like Angus Kinnear would be able to tell us that. And he did tell us when we spoke to him last year, he did say it wasn't something that we needed to worry about. So I've got faith in them in, in them to sort it out. And even if that does go against us, I mean, who knows? Expensive lawyers are paid expensive fees to negotiate settlements. So if they get a feeling that this is steering in the wrong direction against them, now we've had this initial judgment, which it is, by the way, it's in the first instance, it doesn't mean we now have to pay 21 million no, it euros. Doesn't, absolutely doesn't, Dan, yeah. you're right. And, and I, I think it'll be the first instalment that's gone in Leipzig's favour. So whatever that payment was, that looks like Leeds at this stage, bar appeal and a court of arbitration as well, still to go through. So that could take forever, couldn't it? But you'd think that if the first judgment goes one way, that there's logically, you think the other judgments for the rest of the transfer might go their way as well. But logic doesn't always kick in here, does it? You say there's a lot of legals to go through. It could take a long time. I don't think it's going to seriously threaten Leeds' ability in the or curtail Leeds' activity in the transfer market. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot we can really say on John Kevin Augustin because we've not seen the um, the case uh, laid out yet, have we? We've not had a, a verdict with a full explanation because I think what what it boils down to is what was contained, what's the wording of the contract? Mm. Because for anybody who doesn't know, football contracts end on June the 30th as a, as a matter of, well, it's part of the course, isn't yeah. it? And then uh, all the deals that we had in place for the likes of Harrison, Berardi's deal as well, we had to negotiate uh, a new one we had to negotiate with Brighton to let Ben White play on beyond the end of the loan deal in uh, in June. So that was all in Leeds's favour that all those other contracts had to be uh, adjusted according to the other clubs. It's it's a contract, so it involves two parties. And I think FIFA's reluctance to intervene with that was because you can't, in any jurisdiction in the world, you can't have one party unilaterally changing the terms of a contract, can you? So they stayed clear of that. So that's massively in Leeds' favour, that you can't change the terms of a contract to be something that you just want them to be. They have to be properly negotiated and put there in black and white. But that brings us back to what was in black and white mm. in this contract. Did it say end of the season or did it say June the 30th? Or we don't know, do we? No, that, that's the truth. I think the the vibes that you clearly got as well is that Leeds and going, on, this went beyond what was the expected end of the season. So um, <laughs> deal with that, guys. So I, look, it's going to go on. I think the bottom line is it's going to go on for a long time. And I don't think it's going to affect Leeds materially right now in terms of moving the club forward. And that's the important thing for Leeds, isn't it? Do we know exactly how it's going to work with the player? Because he was obviously in a bit of a no man's land, wasn't he? And got released and has now been signed by Nantes where he's not particularly playing. But I presume he's signed there for a hell of a lot less money than he was being promised at Leeds. So are we in then a, a Cameron Stewart situation where a player has left under strange terms? And are we going to potentially be footing a bill for him as well? As loss a, as loss a, of earnings. Almost as a separate yeah. thing is, is still a bit of a concern, I guess. That's a good point because you remember this guy was €90,000 plus I think it was his deal originally with, with, with Leipzig when he was already on loan at Monaco. So if that is a factor in it as well, then that's a very considerable factor if indeed he's earning a lot less than what he was. Because effectively, I suppose he went as a almost like a free agent in the end, wasn't he, mm-hmm. to, to Nantes? But then I guess there's a question, not then a question about if he has signed for another club, would we only have to make up the difference? Well, you know, has yeah, that, like has compensatory, it, if yeah. you like, rather than punitive. Has he waived yeah. his right to get the wages? I mean, this is stuff that's way beyond yeah. my, my understanding, so let's probably move on from it. <laughs> it's, it's a terrifying but, area. <laughs> but, but look, it, it's big sums, isn't it? And mm. look, if it does go against Leeds and there has to be a big sum to be paid out in one go, then at some point, that's that materially, that will affect them. But I think right now, I don't think we should be overly concerned. Are you getting any sniffs of any other movements in or out then? We've seen, obviously, Ollie Casey looks like he's heading to Blackpool, potentially. Yeah, that one is, I'd be very surprised if that didn't happen. Ollie Casey, from my understanding, over the sort of last few weeks, it's been quite clear that he wants to get regular football. He is behind, the, if there's a pecking order at Leeds, you think Robin Cock, German international, Liam Cooper, Scotland international, Diego Lorente, got COVID, but Spain international, and... Then you'd also think, you know, obviously Pascal Strout ahead of him, and I would say Charlie Cresswell's ahead of him in in, in the list of centre backs at the moment. So I can understand as a twenty year old who's had what one senior start since he made his debut at Huddersfield in the last five minutes that he wants to go and get a good level of football. Blackpool have come into the Championship. Two years left on his contract. 
do they come to an arrangement for a player that feels that his future is best served elsewhere? And then on he goes. So I see that one happening. I really do. Are Leeds going to stand in the way of a player that wants to go and play somewhere else? Uh, I, I, the, I don't you, so. you can't stockpile footballers forever, can you? We're not Chelsea's, uh, you know, under 23s farm. It's it's different now. Um, I guess these, like you say, these players want to play and we're going to have players coming in to the 23s, maybe yeah. what, three or four, something like that for the 23s. And they're probably going to be quite high quality, I imagine. I, I think so. Now that they've done back-to-back promotions and then like the top flight of the, what we would have called the, the reserves, wouldn't we, at one point in the in the Premier League, that, that you know, that, that's a seriously competitive league that is now, like last year was, and they romped it last year. But to maintain and drive forward, then you're going to see, a, I think you're going to see a lot of turnover in the, in the 23s and in the youth system. Definitely. So not saying that he would have been under threat there particularly because he's been one of the standout performers, hasn't he, last year. But he wants first-team football and, and you can get that, can't you? And if he feels he's not going to clamber over all those players in front of them, then you've got to think they're going to be around there for a little while. You know, Lorente looks like he could be supreme. Cock, if they can stay injury-free, again, way ahead. Cooper's probably got another good year, I'd say, in front of him. And Pascal's just, well, I mean, he's talking about exponential growth in a player in performance at left-sided centre-back. You know, he's not getting past him right now. So, so yeah, I, I totally get why he feels he's got to move on. Do you get the sense from where you're sitting that you're seeing the same rate of progress that I think the rest of us are? Because we think about the, the changes to the board have been confirmed this week with Peter Lowey, among others, have, uh, have been added to the, to the board. Um, we all obviously know about the 49ers. Shareholding has increased in the last 12 months. And I don't know, there's just there's just a sense of things happening, even when, he, when it comes to stuff like the pitch getting done, where very rapidly becoming a, a Premier League club in infrastructure and, and in board. Yeah, I think if you're looking at looking at the board, and Peter Lowe is the big name that stands out. Lowe family have been interested in Leeds for a long time, as far as I understand. We know they've got big links with football in Australia. Uh, he's based, obviously, out in, in, in the USA now, and has been self-confessed Leeds United fan for, for years, hasn't he? And I think he's talked about watching Match of the Day and listening to radio and when he was a kid and what have you. And he seems to know a lot about the club, and it doesn't seem to be glib statements either. But importantly, this guy is, is loaded. He <laughs> yeah. really is loaded. You know? Well, which, which leads me on to the question, why is he on the board? Because that feels significant to me, because he's part of the, the 49ers Enterprises mm. buy-in, isn't he? He's, he's got that tranche of shares via them. We don't know quite how many shares he's got yet, but it feels like a significant step having him from that pool of investors on the Leeds United board. Is that something he wants to do? Is it a vanity thing? Is it a wealth thing? Is it because he's got expertise in development? Because obviously they've got a background in shopping centres. I don't think people who are that successful just do it for, for vanity when it comes to, I don't want to call it a project, but something like Leeds United. Clearly he's a, he's a supporter and it's there's that video that we've got him on the pitch two hours before kickoff, walking around with the rest of the new board members and with Andrea Radrizzani, looking around like a kid in a sweet shop. And I think he called it, it was heaven on earth, walking on, that's what he said himself, walking onto that pitch and looking around a place that I've always dreamed about being involved in. Now, is this the thin end of the wedge towards eventual ownership in his hands? I don't know. But what he has done for me is that he's used his business expertise and that does include you know, the Westfield Group. We know that, don't we? Huge properties, super uber developments, if you like, all over the world, not least in Bradford and, uh, and, and in London. So and he's going to use that expertise to help, I would say, in the infrastructure improvements that are going to be huge. We're going to see a very different Ellen Road over the next sort of five years if things go to plan. Is he going to accelerate it? I think he was just always going to be part of it. And I think coming through the 49ers door into Leeds United, I think the Lowy family or him has felt that this is a clean respectable way of doing business and to get involved in Leeds United. I think when there's been other opportunities, we're dealing with other people in the past. Who are you thinking? I think they've, yeah, <laughs> I think they've thought, and, and well, look, they did look, they did try yeah. when Ken Bates w- yeah. w- was here, but they felt it wasn't right or they weren't allowed into the party, if you like. So this way, it seems to be done in in a way that he feels is is the best vehicle to do it, I would say. And I would say he'd be key, his investment would be key to, to the infrastructure changes at Ellen Road. I'd like a penny for Ken Bates' thoughts at the moment, actually, with these people coming in and Ellen Road on the verge of actually being developed, I think, rather than just seeing endless computer images of this is where the hotel's going to go, this is where the casino's going to go. Because it's basically all the stuff he kind of wanted to do and it's going to be done better using the money of people that he sort of pushed away to a large extent. I think the difference with Bates, though, is that it was about the other stuff first. We weren't looking at a football team that thrilled us, were we? And there's the you know the famous adage that 
Fabian Delft paid for that was the song, wasn't it? When the, the cream cladding went up on the uh, on the East Stand some months later. And I think that was always the feeling with Bates that the the football side of stuff was incidental to the development. And and I guess with his track record at Chelsea of building stuff, he wanted his hotel and his apartments down there. And he had, is it under the bridge that nightclub is cold? And so it's just like copying yeah. that that model. And But these are people, uh, the current hierarchy, I mean by people, who are saying, we need to develop Ellen Road and get fifty or sixty thousand bums on seats. I haven't heard a whistle yet of, uh, of of a nightclub or anything like that. No, no, and I think the important thing is, and I know when you speak to Eddie Gray on the next show, you'll say this: the important thing is that green thing in the middle of it all, and the players on it. And I think the current regime see that, not least because they're developing the green thing. Yeah. And then, you know that the players are going to play on. It's going to cost a few million quid and bring it up to standard. It's 25 years old, that. Yep. So the pitch will be, and the drainage system will provide the best possible surface for the players, which they seem to be keen in investing in sensibly and, and adding to the squad because they are interested in providing attractive football, which they know will fill a stadium of 50 or 60,000. Pete Lowe said that. He said, I grew up listening to an exciting Leeds United team in the 60s and 70s and so now no he's not the, the main man at the when moment, you first but... started commentating on BBC yeah. Radio Leeds wasn't yeah. it <laughs> been listening to Popey since I was avoiding short trousers <laughs> wow things I would have seen there so but I think that's that's important that you've got someone football minded very much involved along with the other people at Ellen Road because that is the most important thing it's your product isn't it that's the thing that you're saying it doesn't matter what shop what, what service you're in what is your product it is providing a good football team you'd hope and I think Amidst all the change that we're going to see and the, the corporatization, if you like, and the globalization of, of, the, of the club, it seems to be that attractive, entertaining and hopefully winning football is at the centre of it all. Will you lament the loss of the Old West stand, which is where you spend the majority of your time as, as a journalist and, a, and as a commentator? And I, and I say this as well with Everton in mind as well, because you're yeah. an Evertonian. We've seen plans for the, the new dockside ground there that look tremendous, but you must kind of pine a little bit for Goodison Park when you see that as well. Yeah, the old lady, as it's known, I think it'll be very sad. I mean, there'll be tears when, when it goes. I mean, it it's different for me because I don't go there that often these days. I would hate Leeds to move from Ellen Road, and I'm glad that it's a redevelopment rather than a, a move to remember Sturton and yeah. all the, all the, the sewage works. The, yeah, the sewage yeah. works but, Which is now a motorway services, isn't it? I think. Yeah, so I, I would hate that. I mean... Maybe in the future they turn it round or something like that. I don't know, but it has to stay out on the road for me. But the West End's already changing because we've come off the gantry, which has been a fantastic place for us to watch football and commentate football from for years. And we're actually sat in the West End with the fans now that they're allowed back in, which is a great experience. And hopefully when everybody's allowed back in, it'll have been an even better one. So, but the West End's already changing. You know, there's the huge benches have gone in for the, the press, you know, for the Premier League and, and the, 20 observers that they have to have or are allowed to have you know for these Premier League games none of which turned up last last season which was weird <laughs> so people are literally going to turn up at Allen Road and, and find their seats have gone and it's a little bit sad seeing those old raw iron seats uh, or the, the backs to them and then the, the wooden seats sort of lying in a bit of a pile at the beginning of last season like so the, Michael said before they're going to end up in his garden <laughs> I think all of them. Well, at some point, I will end up diving in a skip in the West End car parks. I've brought a dozen seats home. I don't really know where they're going to go, but hold that garden furniture. It's history. It's history. You can't throw this in a bin. Yeah, it's um, that. That's a, it's a bit sad, and I think people being moved. I mean, it's a really contentious when people get moved out of their seats that they've had for for years. So it's changing, and I, I've said to a few people, I think this next year, and hopefully with the fans, if not all back in, then largely back in. It could be the last year that you sort of remember it, how it was before it really does start changing. So I think it's a special, special year. It's for lots of reasons. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Well, the Euros kick off over the weekend. Popey, are you looking forward to, to watching those? We've got a, quite a number of representatives from a Leeds United um, point of view. Calvin, Cooper, Tyro's there, Robin Koch, Diego Llorente, hmm, uh, possibly Rodrigo, Clicky and Alioski providing the entertainment. I look forward to it when the first game kicks off, which is Turkey, Italy, isn't it, in Rome, which my son had tickets for, but because the isolation situation now is that it wasn't worth 
going, which is a real shame. I would have mm. loved to have gone. Well, he would have loved to have gone with his mate. But so when it kicks off, yeah. But honestly, you get a bit football fatigued, I think. And especially this season, they've seen so much football. So I've not really concentrated too much on the tournament. But I know when it kicks off, I will love it. I will love it. So yeah, and and I, I love the fact that there are a lot of players from Leeds who are involved in some seriously competitive teams too. Mm. And do like the North Macedonia connection as well. I think it'd just be, a, they'll be the joyful team and there'll be that, whether it's Cameroon back in, you know, Italia 90 or whatever, they'll be that sort of team, won't they? That everybody thinks, yeah, go on, go and cause an upset. So yeah, I am looking forward to it. And do you know what, from a Leeds point of view, I think providing Lorente does recover and he's going to miss the first game because he's tested positive for COVID. But be really interesting to see how him and Robin Cock do and get a bit few more matches under the belt before they hit pre-season. And because I'm really excited about those two in particular for next season. Yeah, do you find it's a bit of a busman's holiday as a commentator? Do you end up listening to it in that that regard? Do I start analysing it from a commentator's point of view? No, I try and get into it more as a bit of a fan and and watch it like everybody else and go and sit in a in a pub beer garden or something, watch it half, watch it in the background and what have you, and then get up for it when England are playing. So no, I don't find no, I don't find it. It's not it's not a chore. Do you have no to round to it. scream at you or anything? Or? <laughs> no, keep to one. No, we very keep, keep our private lives apart. That way. <laughs> Do you know what? When it comes to tournaments, I quite like watching England on my own, just with nobody else around at home. And then when it gets to the decisive game, third one in the group, always for England, obviously, mm. then, um, then I like to sort of do it as a bit of a communal thing. And then if you get through the group and then, so I do like to, watch it quite closely why why what is it about that that experience that... other people annoy me <laughs> especially especially family members they? yeah so um yeah i think i remember watching when we beat holland 4-1 and i watched that and i couldn't believe it and i was going mad in my own front room back that was euro 96 wasn't it and it was great and i just enjoyed that being able to analyze play a little bit and i mean i'm not i'm not a big technical nerd when it comes to football and tactics and what have you at all but yeah, I think it's just like my own time to see how mm. good we are and make up my own mind rather than, I don't know, maybe jump to some conclusions or half-baked ideas that he's done quite good or they haven't done quite well when you've sort of half-watched it and you, and you sort of... Mm. It's funny <laughs> four, that... Four pints in. Because yeah. 1996, I think for many people of a particular vintage, that was the highlight because it was on these shores. But for me personally, I turned 18 just mm. before that tournament. So it was kind of proper, you know, rites of passage stuff, going to the pub. I finished my A-levels and had nothing to do before going off to uh, Newcastle Poly in the September. So I had like three or four months of just going to the pub with my mates. And we had that summer, you know, that tournament that summer. And it was brilliant. And I remember watching, I think it was the pint of Castlemaine Forex, um, drinking uh, in my local pub in Bradford, just watching that Holland game on the big screen in the pub. So it was the opposite experience for me. But I think you, you always tend to remember the, the tournaments of your youth more than anything, don't you? So if you're about 18... 20 something this year you're probably going to enjoy this one a lot more uh, it's a good good point your 96 was brilliant i mean i was what at the time um 29 yeah <laughs> so we were uh With the brit pop haircut uh do you know what i just had that bit of a how would you describe my hair a lot more than I now <laughs> um yeah i don't know it was like because it started off so amazingly well and there was the scotland game and all that wasn't it but then we went on holiday and we flew to cyprus and we hadn't had uh, our first child by then either. So it was like sort of the last holiday. The, that before, we had. the before times. The before times. Yeah, which <laughs> were great, you know. So, and, and we flew out and I remember we landed in Cyprus and I literally just dumped my bag and got over the road to a pub, which was, oh, I couldn't believe it. It was full of Carlsberg landlords from England wearing Liverpool shirts with Carlsberg on. Oh, so just, can you just what you like Brilliant. as an Evertonian. Yeah. Just unbelievable. So, because Carlsberg had a big brewery yeah. along with Keogh on, on the island of Cyprus. So, so it made it into, into the pub and we watched the Spain game and obviously it was Stuart Pierce's penalty and all that. So it was great. So the place was rocking. And then we made some friends who were from a uh, Chelsea fan actually. And we watched the rest of the tournament together and it was brilliant. I, I just loved it until the obviously horrible moment when we've, we've not beaten the Germans again, but it was a, that was a great tournament. And even though I wasn't particularly young at the time, that and, and Italia 90 World Cup, just the best. Mm. The it's, best. it's funny that because we went on our first 18 year olds mates holiday without parents that summer and we flew out on the day of the final. So it was all set up. If England had got past Germany, it would have been amazing to have the final when we, it was Salou that we went to in Spain. But anyway, in, enough of it, we're going on this, yes, this, this reminisce. Yeah. So what, what do we expect from, from this year's tournament? Because, Football has changed over the last 25 years. It's a far more global game. Like you could switch on any game across this tournament and you're going to recognise players from the Premier League. Yeah. And 
Do you know what I really like as well? You can't cliche your way through this and go, oh, you've always got to be wary of the Germans. Well, well why have you? Because everybody knows everything about every club now because you, you see everybody watches most leagues now as well, to an extent, don't they? So the knowledge is huge. So you can't make generalisations um, for all sorts of reasons <laughs> these days anyway about countries and, and, and teams. So I think Italy are really unknown. France are probably my favourites, I think, because they play... Just some beautiful stuff, and they've got obviously they've got class, class player, world class players throughout throughout the side. I think we'll probably certainly quarters, maybe semis. Then that's how I see us as a nation, footballing wise. England, I think we've got a great front four, a surprise package. Somebody said Turkey to me today, but I don't know. I think Scotland might might be a little. I mean, hopefully it's glorious failure for them, of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the group, but they're quite calm. I think Scotland under Steve Clark, and I think. They might just cause a surprise, and I think which would be getting out of the group. But I do expect us to get out and, and do all right. To be quite honest, mm. it'd be nice to see Liam Cooper lifting another trophy. If uh, if it's not to be England, then uh, seeing Cooper with the, the European Championship would blow out. I think it would blow our minds a little bit. An Englishman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he feels very Scottish. He, he is Liam Mc, uh, Mc Cooper. <laughs> I, there's a question here, I guess, about about Gareth Southgate, and we've we've seen Calvin Phillips coming for quite a few pelters it's obviously normally from fans of other clubs to say he only passes backwards or whatever and you see how he's deployed in that system versus how he plays for Leeds I find it really frustrating watching England that's one of the things that's taken the shine off the anticipation a bit for me is that I feel I don't know do you agree that Southgate doesn't quite know how to get the best out of them there's a lot of tinkering and like not using his best side in the in the run-up to the tournament it feels like he's got his side in mind and then he's playing players who are not even going to the tournament and saying they can prove to me why they should have gone. It just none of it seems to join up or make sense to me. Yeah, I think on the Calvin front, it is frustrating because then you get people like Ashley Cole saying, well, he can't hit a 50-yard pass. Ashley, have you watched him play yeah. in the Premier League this season? I mean, so much yeah. of our play and our success depends on his ability to do that. Totally, totally. And so I I think there's still a massive misconception about Calvin Phillips by... You know, like there was with Leeds fans at the beginning, wasn't it? It was very 50-50, wasn't it? We had people were with him for the, maybe the first two years of his, his career with Leeds once he'd made the first team. So it, it is frustrating at times, but I think Calvin, I think he'll be a real star and I think he'll start too. But it is frustrating not seeing him being deployed to the best of his, his talents, if you like. But personally, I'd like to see him and Rice together and maybe Mount in front of them. I think that could, that could really work. I don't want to see Henderson anywhere near it, especially having taken the penalty <laughs> off Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which I honestly generally thought was bad captaincy. But I, I really would like to see Calvin certainly start ahead of him, even if Rice doesn't. Um, but I imagine he'll slot Henderson because I think he's reverted a little bit to type as Gareth Southgate with the, with the selection. I felt when um, when Calvin came in and made his debut, was it against Denmark in that away game? There was the was it a ball draw? I can't quite remember now. But it it felt like he was I don't know, like I said, he was being played a little bit out of position mm. or not quite playing to the best of his potential or whatever because the system wasn't set up to accommodate him. Maybe there is a benefit for us here in that it does develop his skill set as well into if he has to play alongside Rice rather than being like the single pivot as the cool kids might call it, that um, he learns a new skill how to play alongside somebody else with somebody else just directly in front of him. And Because a lot of England's play seems to just be move it from side to side, give it to the wingers and then hope that something happens. I don't want to think about a time when Bielsa leaves and we have to have two defensive midfielders and we play boring England-style football. That just breaks my heart a little bit that you've even mentioned well, that. Why, why, so, I, didn't, I didn't bring it up. You well, you said, you said he's going to learn new skills, but he's going to learn bad skills. Skills, <laughs> to, play in a, skills to have to play in a well, worse team. Well, I was actually thinking, because we, we saw him playing in advance of um, of Rice, didn't we, a little bit for for England? And I wonder if that's something so it brings back his box-to-box um, skill set a little bit, because that's almost been coached out of him, hasn't it, by the discipline involved in playing like the holding position for Bielsa? Yeah, what did he, he said, didn't he, when Bielsa first came, he said, we also scored seven goals last season. And number four, said, number number four, four. that's you. But I thought it was a quite interesting stage to the back end of the Premier League season where he brought Robin Cock on and moved Calvin forward, didn't he? And everything seemed to work fine. So I'm okay with it. I'm sort of more Michael's side. I want to see him as that pivot, as you say, right in front of the back four or the back three, whatever. I think that's where he's best deployed, but I'm not too concerned if he's going to play a little bit for England in that more advanced role because I sort of think, yeah, it'll be it'll be different. He, he's good at working things out, Calvin. That's the thing. He, one of his greatest skills for me is his anticipation and his interception skills, whereas I think other players in that position that he holds with Leeds have struggled to do it as well. 
He sees everything and destroys he's got, he's got things. Great positional discipline, hasn't brilliant, he? like yeah, brilliant. And he'll have to learn a little bit against top top European players now to do that. Maybe even a high level for for certain games during this tournament. I hope so. The further they go in, so so yeah, that's where he's different, and I think that's where he'll he'll work out any problems that England have if he's if he starts. He will be a major, major part of England's success. Go back in your mind to the end of the hecking bottom season. What odds are you offering for Calvin Phillips being a starter for England in a major tournament? Right. Okay. Because I come at the hecking bottom here quite different to to you guys. I think he did all right. He did all right though, didn't he? I, that think, was he did the level right. I think he did as well as he could. Heckin four bottom. wins. Yeah. Honestly, I think he, he did as well as he, did, he could. What did he do all right at? Because I, I predicted he'd get four wins and that would be all right and he got four wins. Well, just because he met your low expectations well, doesn't mean he, he did a good job. But it shows how how badly I think the place had plummeted. I mean, it was it was a wreck, wasn't it? I mean, ever since the Newport game under Thomas Christensen that season. So, But had Calvin's level dropped off any more than anybody else? No, I think he was consistent. I mean, it's, it's hard to remember the particular games, but did I see him being an England player? No, and I think at worst, I felt he's going to be a top-end championship player. And I've, I've probably always felt that until Bielsa came. Mm, he's, so, he's, done, he's done that for so many, hasn't he? Yeah, but I, like, I was always on his side. If I, I hated the detractors that said that people called him hat stand and what does he give, what does he produce? I've never been that, but did I see him playing for England at this stage? No, did I see him play for England at all? Probably wouldn't have at, at that point. But then again, you had like Tom Pearce in that side that Heckenbottom gave a debut to, scores a goal. He then gets England honours, doesn't he, as a youth, and he gets some value in the transfer market. And, and, and then it's all now his career hasn't exactly gone on you know, to great things. But So I'm, I'm a little bit more benign when it comes to, to Paul Heckenbottom than, than most people are. Mm. And I always remember what Angus Kinnear said, that when he came in and gave his speech to the players, that it was quite rousing and... That is a guy that knows what he's doing, coaching wise, and what have you. So, with the ball and without the ball, the, <laughs> yeah, let you say it. Um, so, so I'm, I'm not. I don't think they were. Oh, it was as bad as what people have made out. I think he was given a very difficult ball to take, but you're always going to take because it it's Leeds. I think he's got some good coaching ability, particularly good at looking at, at youth players and bringing them through. I think that's where his strength is as well. So, I don't think it did Calvin any harm uh, in that sense. It's just that Bielsa's just, you know, I was going to say, a spell. That, that's the comparison, is that yeah. you're up against Bielsa who follows you, so you're always going to look terrible by comparison, which I think, yeah. to, be, to be fair, we have to say he was. I think it, that era and Bielsa, what Bielsa has done for Calvin Phillips, it almost gets to the crux of why watching England can be quite frustrating because we've seen Bielsa take players who looked average at best and turn them into this great Premier League side. And with England, you see players going from a great Premier League side. Play, they go from Man City, turn up for England, and they're generally fairly underwhelming. And it feels like it feels like we've watched our players just drag every last drop of ability from themselves. And then you watch England and you kind of think They're all playing within themselves. How is it yeah. how are they not better than this? Like I'm I'm sure that Harry Kane is a great player. I know Phil Foden is gonna be is brilliant for Man City, but when they play for England, I just don't have much faith in them doing it, which is I guess does that fall at Southgate's I door? I don't I came up with an analogy, see if you agree with this, that we've been treated to like watching one of the great masters at work with Bielsa with with his watercolours doing beautiful brush strokes and then you, you watch England and it's like seeing the same players put into a system and it's like watching it be designed by crayon <laughs> and I don't know if that is an insult towards Just, Southgate mean, but yeah. yeah big broad brush with a creosote yeah. on it it just feels yeah. like we're watching like whereas Bielsa sees four dimensional space chess and we're just watching a game of drafts with England I get you and I think I try and value every minute while we've got Marcelo Bielsa in LS11 because we'll never see the like again, really. We won't because he's so unique. Um, mm. I'm not saying there won't be brilliant coaches at Leeds again, but you've got to you've got to mine this for everything. And that's why I think this season is going to be so, so great. But I think the, the biggest thing for me, what powers has he got from sat in Argentina looking at plans of Thorpe Arch and Ellen Road, looking at videos of players, youth players, what have you, to see the ability that has been untapped or not realised that others haven't. And let's face it, every coach that we've probably had over the last, what, five or six years out on the road that dealt with Calvin Phillips, all by Steve Evans, said that they wanted to work with Calvin Phillips, but none of them managed to get what Bielsa has got out of him. And he saw that before he even arrived. I mean, that for me is the genius of, of him. 
Um, how does he do that? What was he born with that other coaches weren't to be able to do that? Just returning back to the tournament then and what you were saying before about watching it on your own. So the Croatia game over the weekend, are you going to be watching that on your own? See, that's... Um, Booing Jordan Henderson from yeah, you, from the back room? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's really, really hasn't done himself. <laughs> I, I think... I think I will watch on my own actually this weekend. I haven't got any particular plans for that one in place, to be honest. And then obviously the Scotland game. And like, yeah, no, I'd, li- I'd like to watch the first one on my own. Although I'll get, I'll get disturbed by <laughs> wife and daughter, I'm sure. Son, son lives away at the moment in, in Leeds, actually. So I don't know. I, I, I try not to get my expectations up too high because I, I do think if we are, like I said a little bit earlier, a sort of quarterfinals, stroke semis sort of mission. However, I think because we're exciting going forward, if it does click, then we can really cause some damage. So maybe this is the year that it happens. No, hey, hey. Well, it might, it's coming home. It's it's go- <laughs> yeah, oh, bloody hell. <laughs> I just, what I don't want is all that talk. You've got to play yourselves into a tournament. No, you don't. You've got to start spark. And I think that's where your Foden's and players that can really, really make it happen for mm. them. So England, you reckon what, maybe quarter semis and we'll see where it takes us. And what about Scotland and Wales? <sighs> Probably a bit more hope for Scotland than Wales, to be quite honest. Wales, uh, it's just, hard to know where they're going to go with the change of coaches. Isn't yeah, it? Like, they don't seem to have the same stability that they had under um, Chris Coleman. No, they haven't, and obviously with uh, Ryan Giggs being uh, um, otherwise, indisposed. otherwise indisposed. Yeah, but Robert Page has been around a long time there, hasn't he? So uh, as part of the setup, so I don't think that will affect them too much. I mean, speaking to Tyler this week, I mean, he seems quite comfortable in in Baku, you know, ahead of the first game, and and that there's quite a good vibe there. So I don't see them you know, making a dent in it. I really don't. And then the other players where they're involved, like Poland with Mateusz Klick, maybe, I mean, they've got a few standout players, but I, again, I don't don't really see it. I, I'm struggling to look beyond France, to be quite honest. And I wish Melier was playing in goal. So they're my winners, definitely. But I think there'll be some, uh, some good showings from, from England. Phil's off at the minute, as you know, but we recorded this a little while ago so he could keep his voice on the podcast, his top 10 signings since 2006, the 15 years that he's been covering Leeds United. Who's your number six, Phil? Number six is Rafinha. Mm, that's mm. interesting. Yes, it is. He can't go higher than this because he's only he's not even got a full season to talk about at Leeds yet, but he has been absolutely exceptional and I'd hate him to be missing from this list in case anybody dug back through it in three or four years' time and he had gone on to be the absolute superstar that he might be. Even allowing for the fact that he hasn't played too much for Leeds so far, the, the £70 million they spent on him versus the talent that he evidently has in his feet and also his, his brain just looks ever more like a weird, weird decision on Ren's part. And it's strange because the feeling I get down in Ren is that they realise, uh, they, they sat the manager, not or at least he left not so long ago, but... They realise that the football's gone a bit sour there and gone a bit a bit drab, and I think they they've started to accept that Rafinha going was was part of that. But there seemed to be a fairly willing acceptance of the fact that seventy million pounds was actually okay for him. And basically, I tried to imagine what would have happened had Leeds sold him for seventy million pounds, and he'd then gone on to play like he has this season. I think there'd have been an absolute riot, and I don't think unless he drops his form drops off a cliff, I don't think you'd ever have got over that. I don't think people would ever have reconciled themselves with the fact that these things these things happen. He is an extraordinarily good player. And I've always said that the thing I like about him is that he has all the tricks and he can he can mug and embarrass people like Gary Cahill. But he also does the right things. He makes the right decisions. He picks the right ball so often. Um, he's a lovely striker of the ball. He looks like he, he can score and assist whenever the mood takes him. I wouldn't like to predict how long he's going to be at Leeds because I think in, in this form, he's going to start attracting some some pretty serious interest. But I felt like he had to be in there because I do think like he has been an, an absolutely brilliant piece of recruitment. It's quite telling as a Scotsman that every person you've had in this list so far represents good value for money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's uh, it all comes back to the coin, doesn't it? Um, but at least there's been some serious cash spent on this guy. If you if you go through the first batch um, of players who, who I picked, you had Kisnobo on a free, you had... Snoddy on a, a, a very, very small fee down from Livingston, um, Becchio for a very nominal amount from um, Merida in Spain, and, and Cooper, you know, just over half a million pounds from Chesterfield. Fractional amounts of cash by the standards of, of modern day football. Rafinha far further up the scale at £70 million, but still extremely good value. 
His decision making isn't perfect, is it? We should say that. I think no, no, it's, of course. it's exceptional and it's obviously a leap forward from where we've been across the last few years. But that probably explains why it's Leeds buying him at seventeen million pounds and not Man City at sixty or seventy. It does. And also when you're in his position and you're that type of player, trying to constantly force the issue and to make things happen means that you are going to make mistakes and, and you are going to pick the wrong ball from time to time. But I think looking at this the speed of thought and the speed of his feet and the, the you know the pace that he moves at, the number of times where he does get it right and he does look for the right ball, I think tells you why it is that he's going to go on to big things. It's not merely that he has the ability to do you know, crazy turns like he did with, with Cahill. It's it's the fact that he can actually dictate entire matches. What do you think he's brought to Leeds? Being dead good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware that this, this needs to be caveated by the fact that we've been out of the Premier League for so many years and it's a player that we don't particularly like to talk about. But for me, he's probably the the most complete and exciting attacking player we've had since Harry Kewell was at Leeds. I think he's in that kind of a, a level for us. And it's been a joy for us to see someone like that arriving at Leeds because... We've had we've had exciting players. I've already mentioned Snodgrass, people like Gradle who came in and seemed to completely transform the team. But I think to be at the level we're at and to have signed someone like that is incredibly exciting. He's young as well, you know. He's only early twenties, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him. But I think physically, he's found the Premier League a doddle, hasn't he? He can run and run. It's the in, the intense sprints, you know, that that he can do over and over and over again. And and I certainly feel that physically he's adapted and, and coped with the move from continental Europe far better than Rodrigo has so far. And I think he he will only continue to get better. And when you look at Pablo Hernandez, he's replaced Pablo in the team. I mean, we wish we could have kept Pablo for another 10 years and he was 10 years younger, but football always moves forward. And if we'd have had a conversation, what, 12 months ago and said, how much is it going to cost to get a player of Hernandez's ability and to replace him? You wouldn't have said 17 million, would you? I don't think you would have thought either that Leeds would have found it as easy to cope without Hernandez as they have this season. I mean, he has made next to no impact at all and, and has barely played um, as a rule. There, there were a couple of assists against um, Newcastle, but they've had no goals from him. Um, he, he hasn't been a fixture in the team by any stretch, but it hasn't really impacted on, on results at all. Um, and there's definitely been a passing of the baton, um, which I think will continue in the summer when it's it's very likely, I think, that, that Hernandez will leave. We we are moving into a slightly different era now and it it, it all feeds into the, the, the kind of mindset that you have to have as a kind of progressive and ambitious club that you can't stand still and when things need to change, you, you need to have the, the courage of your convictions to make them change. Well, Rafinha takes the number six spot in the top 10 signings since 2006, the period in which Phil's been covering Leeds United. Kisnobo at 10, Snoddy at 9, Becchio at 8, Cooper 7, Rafinha takes 6. We'll be into the top half of this top 10 next week. Rafinha then, Popey. Good signing? Signing of, of last season, do you reckon? Do you know what? I think one of the greatest players, ability-wise, that I have ever had the fortune to see in the flesh and for those eight or 9,000 that got there to, to see him against West Brom, then that's a little taste, isn't it? Going forward, honestly, this guy, this guy is just out of this world. I mean, putting Gary Cahill into early retirement with the spinning Megs was superb. That and, and, and just, you know, some of the goals he's got. And the one he got at Everton was, was, was brilliant, you know. And, uh, and Everton were good that day too, or, or in, on good form. And sort of the one away from home. He is just exceptional. I, I, I mean, I've seen some great players. I mean, like Lewis Cook, I thought was one of the finest young players seen come through. Fabian Delph, I saw him coming through. But talk about ability that's just on a different planet. This guy's got it. He takes the ball in any format, any way, on the move. Brilliant work ethic. Gets right back, helps out his side and is willing to attack from anywhere. And genuinely is upset if he doesn't score, if obviously if the team loses. It really, really matters. I just think he's... If you could create a player to excite, do anything he wants to with a football, score goals, entertain, you've got it. But he's got the ethic. Um, he's brilliant, he's brilliant he's isn't he? He's just brilliant. Honestly, he is, I, I, on, at this stage, I don't think I've seen a better player, certainly not at Leeds United, in the time that I've been watching football. And, and he's shown it consistently now, um, despite that disgraceful challenge at Manchester City that, uh, that put him out for a few games. You get the sense he's going to be a, a player who really thrives in Ellen Road. I think they all will actually. I look at the list of the name of, of the signings, the names of the signings from, from last summer. You've got Rafinha, Urente, Cock, Rodrigo as well. I think they're all going to thrive 
when Ellen Road is bouncing again and you must be looking forward to it as well. Can't wait. Look at Rafini when the goal goes in for Rodrigo. They're both celebrating in front of the, the South Stand with, and like just getting that, that lift off the fan. It, it, you can see that means they've had that taste now and hopefully that means something as well because obviously everybody said, oh, such and such are in for Rafinha. You know, he's going to go here, he's going to go there. He's probably tripled his value by now and, and what Leeds have paid for him. So, you know, snip of the Premier League signings, no doubt about it. One of the world's snips I would say in terms of football transfers but they're going to love it and they will they won't crumble under this they will love it even more and I think we know what Rafinha's got we've seen the full package he's displayed at every game he's played in more or less Rodrigo's the one that excites me because I think we've seen 20% of him so far and there what we saw at Burnley is a top class quality finisher I'm really excited about seeing him next season I'm looking forward to them seeing the away crowd as well because everyone talks about how good it is playing in front of a full Ellen Road, but there's something very sort of cultish about our, our away following and the way that we, should we say, ingratiate ourselves into opposition towns and opposition stadiums by being loud and very present and very vocal, both inside and outside the ground. But you know what I mean? Like the fans are, are just different class when it comes to away fixtures. And I think they'll really, really enjoy that as well to hear, you know, 3,000 fans inside every stadium, out singing the home fans. It's going to be brilliant. I think it'll be extraordinary. Yeah, that's the bit that they probably won't get in their heads at this moment. They probably think, yeah, we know maybe what we're going to get at, at Ellen Road and oh, haven't, they've had a slice of it. But yeah, I think you're right. It, it Leeds brings something very different. And over the years, we've talked about the, the clubs that have missed Leeds. And they, look, they've laughed at the, the schadenfreude hasn't, that's been that Leeds' demise is has caused you know, a lot of mirth for a lot of clubs, but now the, a lot of them have gone through it themselves since. But there's no doubt they've been missed. And, and it is that that edginess that Leeds fans bring to, particularly in, well, not just a home game, but to a away game. And I know loads of people have missed it. And it's that's such a shame that this season's gone by without without that happening. But maybe it'll be even more intense at the sort of knowing what is missed and what has almost been taken away for a long time. That opportunity is going to be presented back, hopefully for away fans very soon. And I think you're right, it, it, they, they will thrive on that. I think they really will having that, that support and, and how much it means. You know, does, it give you, does it give you a platform to commentate on as well when you hear yeah. the fans in fine voice? Because it gives you a point of reference, doesn't it? It does. I mean, the first thing you do, you, you try and identify where the fans are on the ground, you know, the Leeds fans are. Cause you'll hear them. You'll hear them, yeah. And, and it's always, because like, sometimes you get a bit thrown, like stadiums might have, um, they might put the fans in a different area than you're used to being before. And, Obviously, there's going to be a few new stadiums for us this, this season that uh, fans haven't been to. So, yeah, so that's the first thing you do is identify where it's coming from, point the mics that way so you get a little bit more bit more noise to pick up Oh, from. is that a trick, is it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. <laughs> just to, yeah, so a uh, bit of that going on. So, yeah, it, it is, and it's the thing that we've missed the most is is not having that, you know, crescendo of noise that accompanies your, your commentary. And, and that's why it's quite nice that in the West End that we're going to be sat much more in amongst the fans too rather yeah, you should than get a, sense of, get a sense of the noise yeah definitely and it was great you know the other day when, when they came in for the West Brom game there was there's two ladies came in and it was like they'd come for the first time again it was brilliant and they just found their old seats in the West Stand and we went down and spoke to them and, and then there was guys just like considering people are socially distanced too they were like scars with the heads just singing madly like it was the first game they've ever been to and these were I bet every one of them were middle aged and I'm not being unkind and uh <laughs> And it was just brilliant. And they're thinking, well, we're going to be sat amongst that. It's like sat amongst supporters. It's great. It's much better when it's like that. It's, it's a much more intimate feeling. And it was brilliant to see. It, it really. And I think that there's going to be an extra verve to the Allen Road crowd when everybody's back in together. It's going to be like starting the Premier League all over again, isn't yeah. it? It's going to be. It's going funny you saying that. I'm, I'm starting to glaze over now. My eye, I'm, I'm getting yeah. misty eyed and feeling quite emotional oh, when you describe it. It was look when when the Championship trophy was put on the cop touchline by the goal way before it for that, was presented. For that, fo- that photo, was it? Yeah, for that photo. We were on the gantry that, that night and there was me, Noel, Johnny and Catherine from BBC Radio, I think, yeah, and Pete had done the show before. I remember we looked down and they started tearing up and I was the one on the mic at the time and I kept going, but they just saw, and that was before any crowd had come in. Well, what little crowd there was, obviously there was players well, yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And people were, were, were tearing up looking at stuff like that so when fans came in the other day against West Brom it was quite emotional as well and uh, I think when we all do it together it's going to be 
a massive sob fest and you know hug oh, fest oh, and what have you. I'm going to cry. I've I've said before on the record, I will I will cry when I get back in there without a shadow of a doubt because I, I I still. It's not the same as when you were a kid. And I remember, you know, as a kid, you might be walking up the steps holding your dad's hand or whoever's hand and, uh, and you emerge out of the, mm. uh, of the gangway and you see the green rising up in front of you. That, I love that sense. I love that moment still now, even now when you first get a glimpse of the grass and you think, oh God, how green is that? How good does it look? It's like the best lawn ever, isn't it? And I'm, and I'm home. And I get that sense every time, but it's going to be that, but on steroids when we, we all finally get back in there, when you hear the noise. and I think it's going to be interesting to see how the atmosphere has changed actually because I feel like we're going back to a different Leeds United than the one we left at the Huddersfield game because at that point we were a, a terrified championship team and it feels like since that game we've we've turned into a bit of a we've got a bit of Premier League swagger to us now and I don't feel like there's going to be quite the same tension there there's not there's so much goodwill now to all of these players as well because I think if you'd asked people at the Huddersfield game what they thought of Liam Cooper probably half of them would have said oh I'm just not sure he, he worries me and stuff whereas now I think people would would almost universally say He's a hero. Look what he's done. Mm. He's got us up. And I wonder if there'll be a, a certain a nice feeling of attention being lifted because mm. it's been like that for so many years. It was, well, it's gone through spells of being disinterested hostages at Ellen Road, more or less. <laughs> people who people who go because that's what you do. And it's like, here we are again, yeah. kind of thing on a Saturday. And you can still, there's been good times mixed in with it, but it's there was years where there, there was no football played, essentially, yeah. at Ellen Road. You were going to to watch you were Leeds there out of habit yeah because you support Leeds yeah. and that's why you're there and I think the, the transformation of us into a, an actual football club again and an incredibly good and entertaining one I think it'll be interesting to see how that how that translates and if if there's any of that old tension still there and when we miss a chance in the first minute people will still be going oh it's just typical Leeds this well I mean but- I, I do feel genuinely like a huge weight has been lifted from and I felt it lift around the promotion I felt like, you know, like a lifetime's worth of tension and stress. I think I said it felt like we'd been fixed. Yeah. Getting us up, it's like, right, that's done now. It was therapy. Fine. Wasn't it? <laughs> it was It was a form of therapy getting promoted. It just, it took away so much anxiety, so much tension. Do you think it's being lifted, Poppy? I mean, like I say, you, you know, you, you view all this through a far more professional journalistic prism than we do, but you can't help but get attached to the, the whole thing and the whole yeah. idea. And I can tell you, I just from, just from talking to you, and you, you know, the amount of time you spend around the club and covering it, it must affect you. And do you get a sense that everyone's just moving a little bit differently, a little bit more confident. There's not quite the uh, the same millstone around the neck. Oh, definitely. And I think the disinterested hostages is a really good thing. Yeah, you feel like you've been on type in the radiator now, don't you? It's a horrible <laughs> cell somewhere, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I think because everything seems to be aligning nicely, it's the the long-term stuff, you know, for the, for the ground, what have you, uh, the infrastructure around it as well, which seems to still be planned forward, all the Matthew Murray stuff and the and uh, the the sporting hub that's going on um, on Fulham Car Park, the ground itself, the pitch itself, the investment in players has been sensible. All that stuff seems to be sent. It makes sense, and they've delivered consistently. Now there has been mistakes on the way. We know that, but ultimately, Andrea and team have delivered along the way, and I think that's the first over a sustained period now. And they brought in a world class coach. Is, is, so, is that all we had to do was deliver on promises? I think I think it's a huge thing. Whether it be, and you might have your different views on the ground too, which we know the 49ers now have at stake in, but the fact that he actually bought it. Now, he bought it into his own company. I mean, people get confused and think that Leeds United owned the ground. Well, they didn't. No, they didn't. And they don't. The 49ers have a part of it now. We understand. That's what we were told that by Pragmarite. But I think when Andrea did that and became a more, if you like, benign landlord compared to what was going on before, then... I think that was quite a key moment. I know Angus was really, Angus Kinnear was really excited about it at, at the time. And, uh, and I think the council got excited. They felt like we can deal with this club now. And that's the, that's the thing for me. We've got fans on board. We've got council on board. We've got businesses on board. Leeds are attractive in a way that they hadn't been attractive for a lot of years other than to their fan base, of course, which will always be attractive. It doesn't matter how ugly your other half is. It's your other <laughs> half, isn't it? So, yeah. So, but, um, in that sense, yeah, a huge weight has been lifted because I think it's a club that is is now capable of stealing a march and others too um, that have been in a similar situation come into the Premier League but now look like they can not do that horrible you know, second season syndrome thing. I think there's a plan here that's going to move them forward again, providing that he signs. There is, the, there is, a, well, he will do, won't he? I mean, we've, I can't believe we've made it this far in without even mentioning that. I, I think it was down in the notes for somewhere at the start. There doesn't seem to be any anxiety about him re-signing because he's up at the, up at the training ground coaching children. That was amazing, that wasn't it? Yeah. How, how lovely was that? Yeah, just give him ninety minutes of his time for under eleven. It's just 
completely wholesome and that's why I love him so much and why he can never leave. But I think the big point there is that if he isn't able to do that, if his ability to not bring through young players and put time into young players, which he's talked about a lot, hasn't he? He said, we need to reduce the footballing calendar so that more time is put into developing youth talent everywhere. He's talking. If he felt that Leeds were containing his ability to do that and to make and to not help players reach their potential, I think that would be one of the things that we could see in Walt because that is, I'm not saying it's the most important thing, but I think that's a huge aspect of it. And he felt from the beginning that he could do that with Leeds, with their academy, with the setup, etc. And obviously it's gone from strength to strength. The minute that doesn't happen, I think that's that's issue. That's why you see him doing that. He loves doing that under 11's coaching. It's, he says, You're right, I can give my time to these kids and make them better. And whether that be, you know, Niall Huggins in the 23s or whatever, or an 11-year-old up at Thor Parch, I think that's so important for him. So it is wholesome, but it's absolutely key to helping him stay, I think. It's made it reframe our expectations, hasn't it? the way that Bielsa operates has made us examine what we want out of our football club. And I think we appreciate now when we see the development of the likes of Patrick Bamford, Stuart Dallas, Liam Cooper, Luke Ayling, you know, the list goes on, how much better they've become in, in the time that Bielsa's been here, the longest he's been anywhere. It doesn't feel like they've reached their ceiling yet. And we now understand, it feels, I don't know, it feels like we've been let into a little bit of a secret almost, that if you put your efforts into good coaching, that counts for so much more than all these managers who say, oh, well, I need more backing in the transfer market. I need this, I need that. Bielsa's is the antithesis of that, isn't he? He's a man who's saying, nope, what I've got, I will make work and I will make better. In many ways, I don't even want anything else extra. Yeah, it's almost like he piles up the challenge against him, isn't it? Let's take an example. I mean, obviously there's a managerial merry-go-round going on as we speak, isn't it, in the, in the Premier League and who's going to go where. But look at Carlo Ancelotti. Who comes out of at the first chance, Real Madrid come knocking, he goes back. Look at Marcelo Bielsa. For me, Ancelotti isn't a coach of developing young players. Calvert-Lewin, I think, was doing fine with Duncan Ferguson's presence there. Tom Davis is maybe the one player, Everton, that you can say has really come on leaps and bounds. I think he's a manager of very talented, already established players, and he knows how to manage those egos. Whereas Bielsa is a coach, and he's the finest coach that I've ever witnessed. And obviously one of the finest coaches the world has ever witnessed. We can see that. His track record of development players is superb. And we'll use the word project, but he can see it through, whereas other coaches won't see it through or don't want to take on. And Carlo actually admitted that, really. So this is the first time I've ever sort of tried to do something from the bottom up, whereas this is exactly what Marcelo wants to do. Look what he's done at Newell's in the past. Look what he did with Chile, which was incredible. But what he's done at Leeds is, is phenomenal. I don't know anybody else that's done done this for a long time. You know, certainly not at Leeds, anyway. Uh, since Don's days or, or certainly Howard's in a way, but you could make a, a comparison there. But that's the difference that this guy can coach and coach and get. I don't mind materials that just probably didn't exist in anybody else's mind or players didn't even know that they had. I mean, that's that's the exceptional powers that he's got. And what it does do, though, is that if he's not there, will the same players be able to do it elsewhere or still be able to do it at Leeds? That, that's your concern, isn't it? What's the opportunity cost of him not being there? But let's not think about that. No. At all. That sounds like a terrible thought. And let's not leave it on, on no, that. No, no. No, I let's, think he'll sign. Let's yeah. leave well, let's leave it on this note that the whole thing for me personally, and see if you agree, leaves me with huge optimism and anticipation for next season. I had a week's break and I'm already looking forward to the fixtures coming out, which is in the next week or two, isn't it? And then we can start to plan what what's Christmas gonna look like, what's it gonna look like at Easter? Will we be pushing for Europe, maybe? But the whole thing just feels like contrary to the idea of being hostages to fortune at Ellen Road. I can't wait to get back there and I can't wait to watch us play again because it's brilliant. And I know no matter what happens in the Euros this summer, none of it's going to compare to something like Stuart Dallas's winner at the Etihad last season. Nothing will match that. I think you're right. The Euros is a nice sideshow for me. I cannot wait. For, I didn't want the last season to end, not least because fans were coming back in. But that 11-match spell at the end where they lost once to Brighton, I think the last 10 games, in fact, was the... The second best haul of points they've done in, in the top flight. Mm. When we burnt out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and they burnt out. Yeah, 66, 67 was the last time they got, I think it was 23 points. It's only the, the last time Leeds didn't make the Champions League, which was when they finished fourth, wasn't it? They got 25 points in the last 10 games. For him to do that in his first top flight season with, with, with that, that team is absolutely incredible. That's why I didn't want it to end. I, I can't wait. I, I think, look, we could, what, what he's done for me, like I said, he's made you re-examining what is, what is success, what is important. Now, are Leeds going to progress next season? 
yes, you can do it linearly and think, yeah, I'd like them to get more points, but I wouldn't measure it in where they finish in the table. If they end up with 62 points next season, great. That's a, there's a clear progression there, but they might finish, I doubt it, they might finish 10th or 11th, that say. But So I'm not too bothered about that. I'm not too bothered it has to be a big push for Europe. It's about performance. And he is the coach that epitomises the performance. If you get that right more often than not, you'll start winning. And he echoes people like Tony Smith, who was in charge of the Leeds Rhinos, and Malcolm Wilshop, God rest his soul, who's a squash coach in the locality who had his son James as world number one. They always talked about performance, performance, performance. Then you will more often get the results. And that's exactly what Bielsa is about, getting performances right. That's why he wasn't concerned with the defeat at Brighton, because he felt, I still felt we were trying to do the right things. And I think if that's going to continue under him, then Leeds are going to be fine. And I, st- I think you will see improvement next season under him. Fingers crossed. Can't wait to find out. Uh, you can get in touch with the show at the Phil Hay Show. Popey, thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I always like talking football with you. Yeah, loved it, guys. I'm in awe that I've been allowed in on <laughs> Phil Hay's show. Yeah. <laughs> You're not allowed out again now. That's it. You're a hostage to us uh, <laughs> forevermore. Uh, no, absolute pleasure. And try and keep uh, wheeling in check if you can for next season. What are you going to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> nothing more just to say thanks and yeah enjoy next season and, and we'll keep in touch please uh, come back on and speak to us again Love sometime to. soon and catch up with The Athletic uh, the latest price the latest offer theathletic.com forward slash leads pod and we'll be back next week to talk to Eddie Gray The Phil Hay Show 